0: Grab your Bibles, if you would, whether digital or in print, grab your Bibles and go with me to Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11. Uh, we'll get there. We're going to look at actually several different verses today, Hebrews 11. We are finishing up our series today entitled Faith Works. Has this been helpful for you? I sure hope so. It's It's been a, a joy to study and learn, and I know God's been Speaking some things to me as we go uh, in March of this year, at the end of March, actually it was March 27th of this year. I was just spending some time with the Lord and the Holy Spirit just began to speak some things to me. And, and what the Lord said to me was this. I want to read it to you because I, I wrote it down. This is what the Lord said to me. He said, uh, God is restoring our eyes of faith to see him clearly. He's restoring our hearts to receive him yet again. He's restoring our spirits to believe Him. He's restoring our legs to follow after Him. And He's restoring our hands to work with Him. I believe, and this is what the last thing that I felt the Lord was saying, was that there is a maturation of our faith that is beginning to take place in our church. Now, that was in March. And uh, that's when I knew that it was time to get into this series and to start looking at some of these truths and the cycle of how faith works, how faith hears. And then it makes a choice to believe. And then faith must speak. And then faith has to act, because faith without works is dead. It's pointless. It's lifeless. It has no uh, life to it. And then the final component in that cycle is that faith Rests, And that's what we want to get into today, that faith rests, because I want you to be somebody that follows your faith to full maturity. We don't want to be people that have our lives tossed to and fro, that have ups and downs, that in and out. No, we want to be people of faith that are solid, that are strong, that are moving, where our faith is not lacking anything but we have a strong, steady faith because I think a faith that hears and a faith that speaks, a faith that believes, a faith that acts, a faith that rests is a faith that works. It's a faith that works. It it produces something. There's something behind it that helps it to work and to move. Uh, Hebrews 11 says this. It says, By faith, even Sarah who was past childbearing age. One version says, well, past childbearing age was enabled to bear children because she considered him being God faithful. She considered him faithful. Who had made the promise. Some of you are like, God, I'm believing for some promises in your word, but I don't want Sarah's promise. Right? Like, I ain't good with that particular promise, Lord. Give me another promise. Uh, I might not be well past childbearing age, but Lord, that ain't the promise. I don't need that one. We don't need that promise. But we can still consider him who gives us promises as faithful. Amen? It goes on this same in verse 12. And so from this one man, he, as good as dead himself. Come on, fellas. Jesus came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashores. I love that phrase. They considered him faithful. The one who gave the promise, the one whose voice they heard, the one who they chose to believe, the one who they decided to speak in alignment with, the one who they decided to pack up and move and act. And their legs and hands went to work in believing this promise and following through on this promise and obeying what God was commanding them to do. They came to a point where they began to consider that God was actually faithful. They considered that he was faithful. I know many of us that like to think that God is faithful, but we consider a lot of other things. If we can be honest in God's house just for a little bit, I think sometimes we consider other things. We, we consider quitting a lot. We, we consider quitting church, we consider quitting faith, we consider uh, quitting on the thing that we thought God said because it's taken a really long time for the change to occur, and we just are like, I ain't got time for this, God. God, you need to hurry up. And God, my timetable is already passed, Lord, and what about this? And we just consider quitting it all altogether. We don't consider him faithful, but we sure do consider quitting sometimes. Maybe it's just me. That's all right. I, I don't mind being honest today in God's house. We consider, we consider that maybe we just need a new interpretation, that what we heard was wait, and what God must have said was work a little harder. God says, uh, I'm going to bring you the man of your dreams, and what we think he said was date everybody until you find him. But that, that, that may not be what he, what he said. Was, so when we're in this season where we're starting to reconsider the promise, we're starting to consider the promise more and more, trying to figure out if, if, if it's really going to work or not, You know, because we've been working hard, we've been speaking in faith, we've been believing, we know we heard God, but, but somewhere along the way we haven't seen the finished work of it, and so we start to consider other things. We start considering maybe it's time to make it happen ourselves. Oh, that door closed. Hold on. I got a big foot. Let me knock that door over. Oh, look, God opened the door. Right? Like, no, no, sweetheart. That's not what that means. Right? Like, that's not what God said. We consider a lot of alternative things. We consider, we consider that maybe we just didn't hear God right. That maybe God really isn't true. Maybe we just missed it. Maybe it wasn't right. That that this period of waiting for the promise to really come to pass, maybe we just didn't hear God right. And we just reconsider it. And, and, and we, we, we take it a step further sometimes because we don't like to wait for stuff. We don't like to wait for the promise. We, we, we hear God. We start speaking. We start working. And all of a sudden it's like, come on, let's go. Right? You plant some, some seed in your yard, you fertilize it, you water it, and one week goes by, so you're like, come on, grass, let's go. Why ain't you green yet? Well, it takes a little bit of time. Right? It takes a little bit of time. The Bible says there's something called seed time and harvest. There's seeding. We'll help you. There's time. And then there's a the harvest. We think it's like, I threw seed down, let's harvest. Come on, harvest. No, there's seed. There's time. Then there's harvest. Because faith has to hear, has to believe, it has to speak, it has to act. But it has to come to a place where faith rests. And sometimes it's in that season where we're waiting, we, we start to consider maybe we need to get distracted because we're starting to worry. We're starting to get anxious. We're starting to wonder if uh, it's actually going to happen. And so instead of really continuing to be faithful in our marriage, we just look for a distraction from our marriage. And we start to numb the pain and we look at substances and we look at other activity and we busy our life because we don't want to wait anymore and we're tired of waiting. So we're just going to busy ourselves so we don't actually have to wait on God. We just distract ourselves more and more. But God says we need to consider him that he's actually faithful. He's faithful. See, because there is is this gap when it comes to to your faith. There's this gap. No, I'm not talking about the store. I'm not talking about the gap in your kissing cousin's teeth from Arkansas. I'm not talking about that gap either. That's not the gap I'm talking about. I'm talking about the gap between when the promise has been spoken... And when the promise actually gets fulfilled, there's a gap. There's, there's the beginning part where God seeds the promise in your heart. There's time in between the gap and then the promise gets to be fulfilled. That's the harvest. There's a gap. And some of you are right in the middle of the gap because you've heard it, you believed it, you've been speaking it and declaring God's word over it. You've been working and acting on faith. You've been preparing and getting ready and you've got it all dialed in, but it hasn't happened yet. That's because in this gap is where you need to rest. See, there is a gap. Uh, It was about uh, 11 years ago, my wife and I, we were living in our first home. We were living in Charlotte, North Carolina. We had a nice little 1,200-square-foot home. It was our very first home that we ever owned. And uh, it was right along the outer uh, beltway of Charlotte and 485. It was right there, easy access to a lot of things, convenient to some shopping centers. It was a great, great home. The only problem was I had recently gotten a new job, and I was working in a church uh, that was 28 miles one direction— away from where we lived. Now, it was 28 miles, but how many of you know it didn't take 28 minutes? Because big city traffic makes sure you don't get anywhere according to the mileage to which you are driving. It take, it took a little bit of time. We had one car. We had our very first child. She was a little, small, beautiful little girl. She's now growing and is still a beautiful girl. And I consider her little still, Amen. Always daddy's princess, right? Like growing but, but she was she was a baby. We had one car, I was working, Amber was home full time with our child and uh, it was it was that direction one way and we were at a point where we're like, you know what, Lord, we need to move. We need to sell this house. And we need to go live in the community where we're working, where we're serving. Because we wanted to shop with the people that we were ministering to. We wanted to, our kids to attend the schools. We wanted to, to be in the same environment because we wanted to be in the community. We wanted to be there among the people. And, uh, and so we decided we are going to sell our house. We felt like it was what God said to do. We felt like God was going to bring us a great buyer. We were going li- to make a little bit of money because we had some equity in the home. We were, we, our faith was high. We were acting on it. We hired a realtor, put it all out. And then there was this thing, this gap of time that was frustrating. That was making us doubt and reconsider and wondering if God really said it. it. It got to the point where we had our pastor come out. Y'all don't judge me. This is just what we, we did. We had our pastor come out and we Jericho marched that entire property. Yes, we did. We prayed seven times. We made laps around that sucker. We weren't wanting it to fall. We were just wanting it to sell. We were real specific actually with our prayers as we marched around that place. We wanted this thing to sell. And one realtor, it didn't work. So we found another realtor. We reconsidered the realtor and got a different one. And we reconsidered our strategy and we waited and we waited and time went on. And, and believe me, it wasn't like our lives were over because we didn't sell this house. It was just something that was taxing on us. You know what I'm saying? It was this in-between season. You always had to be ready to show that house. For over a year, we lived like ready to walk out the door at any moment with a with newborn ready at any minute to make sure the house smelled really nice at any minute. And we waited and we waited and we waited. And finally, finally, it came through And we, we were able to sell the house and God blessed us and it came through, but it didn't come right away. God was developing some perseverance in our faith. In the gap. The gap is needed because it's in this season where you're in this gap that God is developing and strengthening your faith. Sometimes it's in the gap that we have this awkward silence. Have you ever been in a conversation that had some awkward silence? There was a gap between what they said and what you said, and there was just some awkward silence. Silence. Sometimes we get that with God. We're, we find ourselves in this gap where we know what he said, but he hasn't said anything new, and we're wondering what's going on. Come on, God. Why aren't you talking to me? Why aren't you giving me a next step? Why, why isn't this happening yet? And we're in this gap, and it feels like it's quiet. And if we're not careful, we will misinterpret the silence. And most of us start thinking, well, God must have just not, God doesn't care anymore. God's not listening to me anymore. God, God just, maybe it's not for me. Maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe. And we start reconsidering all of the wrong things because we don't know how to interpret his silence. We think the silence means we did something wrong, but sometimes silence means you just need to wait. Wait. Silence means you're in the gap. Sometimes silence means you just need to continue holding on and doing what you need to do and being faithful, but stop worrying and start resting. Because if we're in this gap, if we're in this season where we know we've done all we're supposed to do, but the promise hasn't come true yet, we know then we are in the gap. And when we're in the gap, it's easy to start working in your own strengths. But it becomes fruitless labor. And we miss out on some things. That's what happened with Abraham and Sarah. They had a gap. Let, let, me, let me show you Abraham and Sarah's gap. In Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 1, check out, check out this, this, the beginning part of, of Abraham and Sarah, their, their faith journey. The Lord said to Abraham, "Go to, uh, I want you to go from your country, your people, and your father's household. I want you to leave everything that you know and go to another land that I'm going to show you. Which land? The one I'll show you. Are we there yet? I didn't show it to you yet. Hey, God, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Is this the one? Is this it? God says, I'll show it to you when we get there. Yeah, but God, is this the one? Did I show it to you? No. Okay, then it's not the one. Keep walking, Abraham. And that was Abraham's life. And some of you are like, I can relate, brother. (laughs) I've been waiting and waiting and waiting and wondering, and I don't know what it's supposed to look like. I'm just trying to keep on walking. And that's the journey that they were on. And God promised them this. He said, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse In other words, I'm going to be your defense. If you're worth defending and you keep having the right attitude and the right heart, I'll be your defense. Some of you have been trying to be your own defense and trying to deal with all the rumors and all the stuff. If you will just stay in the right heart and the right posture before the Lord, stay broken before the Lord, stay honest, stay humble. If you keep a right heart, God will make sure the right outcome comes. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you and all the people on the earth will be blessed through you. This is the promise. The promise is being given to Abram. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old. Come on Lord, let me be better at 75 than I am at 36. Come on Jesus, let me I want to have that kind of faith that says, "What up God? What's the new adventure? Let's go." I might be 74, 5, but I still got life in my body. I might not know all that. I might not I might not be as young as I once was. Come on Jesus, but I'm as young once as I'll ever Oh, don't make me go country. <laughs> y'all don't y'all don't want none of that. Right? I want to be like Abraham that says at 75, let's go. What's, what's the next task, God? What's the next promise? That's when Abraham started his faith journey. And, and let me show you to at the end of it, Genesis, um, Genesis 21. So he was 75 when he heard the promise. Genesis 21, starting in verse five, says this, and Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. The promise was really about a lineage and a heritage and a lifeblood. It was about having a son that would carry on his name and all the world would be blessed through Abraham's offspring. Now, I'm a pastor. I'm not a mathematician. But by my calculations, Abram Abram was 75 when he got the promise, heard the promise but he was a hundred when the promise occurred. That's 25 year gap. Some of you have been waiting 25 months and you're already ready to quit. Marriage hadn't turned around yet. It's been 25 days, Lord. What's the problem? 25 years. That's a big gap, yo. That's a big old gap. That's a lot of time. That's a lot of considering. That's a a lot of things that can go on in the gap. 25 year gap between when he heard what God said and when he saw what God did. 25 years in the gap. All along the way, Abraham was hearing, he was believing, he was speaking and he was acting on what he knew to do, but there came a time where he needed to just rest. And that 25 year gap of rest, he decided to do some things in his own. Because he got restless. He got restless in the gap. And he decided to, to, to give it his best he ho. And you find that story in Genesis chapter sixteen. It's really interesting. In Genesis 16, you see the story of, of, of Abraham and Sarah. And Again, we've already chronicled their age and the, the lack of biology that was naturally working on their side and that uphill battle that they had to climb together with which a child could be made, but it wasn't happening in their own strength and their own ability, and it had to be something that only God could do. And, and so it was in this weakness that God was actually going to show his strength, but they didn't like the fact that they were weak, so they decided to try and put on pseudo-strength. Right? And Sarah came to to Abram and says, hey, obviously this isn't working. And we're tired of waiting and you're not getting any younger and I'm not getting any younger. And obviously this isn't working. So why don't you go with Hagar, my maid, and why don't you fulfill the promise of God with with Hagar? And Abraham's like, well, babe, I'll take one for the team. (laughs) Trick question, fellas. That is a trick question. I don't ever no. It, it ain't it ain't that way. Don't nope no sir. Uh-uh, I may have been born at night, but will won last night, right? We ain't walking that path. But there was a gap, and they didn't know what to do, so they tried, and they stopped being patient. They stopped practicing patience in the waiting, and they started pushing their way through, and they pushed out an illegitimate promise, and they pushed out. Something that wasn't. They tried it in their own strength and it didn't work. When they tried this in Genesis 16, when they tried to do it on their own, it was 11 years after the promise was given. 11 years. It was in verse 16 of chapter 16. It says, Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. 11 years. In the Bible, there are some significant numbers that, that represent certain things. Like the number seven represents perfection and completion, right? Number three often represents community and perfect unity because you've got the God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The three are in one, and they are perfect in unity. So there's certain numbers that mean certain things. You want to know what the number 11 means? The number 11 represents imperfection, disorder, disorganization and chaos. It's in a biblical sense, it portrays sin, transgression, evil. It is also looked upon as with dual character. Because Abram was like, well, I trust God, but I don't trust him enough. Let's go, Hagar. He was in a gap when he should have been resting. He got a little restless. He went a little stir crazy. He decided that it was time to stop waiting on God and God needed his help. Friends, God doesn't need your help to fulfill his promise. He does ask you to participate, and that's when we act. But there comes a time when you've done all that you can do, and it's time to just, when, when all you can do is stand, stand for. When all you can do is, is just wait, you need to Wait. You need to wait and the promises because you've planted the seed, you've watered the seed, you've cultivated the ground, you've tended to it, you've taken care of it, but you can't make the sun rise and you can't make the waterfall. You got to sit on your tail end and wait and trust God in the process because there's a gap. Faith rests in the gap. If you find yourself at a place where you've heard a promise from God, you have believed that promise. You've, you've not only believed it, you've begun to declare it. You've got verses all over your house. You, you, you're working and recognizing the problem. You're believing that that family member is going to get saved. I mean, you're, you're, you're speaking the word of God. You, you're hoping for deliverance to finally break free of an addiction because God's promised you that you can. And you've heard it. You believed it. You're speaking it. And you're doing all the practical things that you need to walk in obedience. But there will come a time, friends, with everything that God promises and everything God speaks that you must stop and rest. Because faith rests in that gap. Watch it all the way through scripture. There comes a time where you do all that you can do and then you have to just rest. You just have to rest. You have to rest knowing that God is faithful. You must rest and consider him faithful. You have to rest. Abraham and Sarah needed to just rest, but they grew restless. I wonder if some of us are starting to grow restless in the process. I came to remind you today that the best place you can be is in the middle of God's promise. And if he's got you waiting, then just wait. Don't try and do things in your own strength. Don't try and make it happen. Don't make the call. Don't manipulate the scenario in the situation. Let God do it. Let God handle it. Do all the practical things that you need to do. Keep speaking in faith. Keep believing. Keep leaning in to listen. But if it's been silent and you know you're in the gap, stay in the gap. Stay right there and rest and rest. Let me give you a few things to help us out as to what happens in us when we're resting in the gap. Can I do that? Let me me help us with some things. Number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. Rest. Reminds us that God is in control. Why do we need to rest in the gap? Because you need to be reminded that God is in control. You need to let go of your God complex, thinking that you can control the outcomes that you really just can't control. You need to, to rest. You need to let go of that. You, you don't get to micromanage your life. You can't micromanage your kids' lives. There comes a time, parents, where you just need to rest in the training that you've provided. And it's it's not when they're 12 that you need to rest in that. It's when they get older and they begin to make adult decisions and they need to transition. That's when you need to rest in those things. It's, it's in the season where they're starting to make some of their own decisions. You need, in their older teenage years, parents, you need to help them learn how to make good decisions, but you can't control their decisions. You need to let them make safe decisions. Don't let them make stupid decisions that are going to ruin their life. Still be a parent, mom and dad. But there comes a time where there's some safety where you get to train them and teach them and give them an opportunity to make some wise decisions. Let them do it because they need to learn how to make decisions too. There's wisdom in that when you get to those gaps. I love how Psalms 23 says it. He, being God, makes me lie down in green pastures. He makes me rest. He makes it so that the things that I was doing that was producing fruit no longer produce fruit. So I have to stop thinking it's about my efforts. And realize it's about His sovereignty. He makes me rest. He makes me rest. God reminds us that we are not in control. It was earlier this year for my birthday that uh, our our church board of trustees, on behalf of uh, of you, the church, uh, gave me a gift for my birthday. It was a small uh, Traeger smoker, and uh, I love to grill. I love to cook. I like meat. Uh, if I turn to the profile side, you'll see how much I like to eat meat, but I ain't going to do that right now for you. I I love to cook, and I love to grill, and I love all those things. Um, And so I've only really cooked on propane, on a propane grill. And cooking on a propane grill is totally different than cooking on a smoker. And, And Traeger has this phrase that they use. It's called, you can set it and then forget it. Because you set the temperature and it does everything else. You just need to come back at the right time. Well, I'm not real good at that. I mean, I got to be peeking and looking and like, let me check the meat. No, no, it's time to flip it, right? We flip. I got to flip at least three times. I got to flip because I've got to feel like I'm a part of this process. I mean, I can't give the grill credit for the food. I need the credit. This was my chicken and my recipe. Don't be getting the grill. No credit. No, no, no. So you got to get your hands in there. But what I've learned is that the more I put my hands in it, the the worse it turns out. Because rest reminds us that we ain't in control. And some of you, you need to be reminded you're not in control, that God is. And when you walk in obedience and you walk in his ways and you walk in according to his word and you're walking in the promise that God is the one who's going to finish it, you're not in control, he is. And rest reminds us. Love that fact. Not only that, rest, here's the second thing. Rest will refresh us for what's coming next. Why is it important to rest? Because it refreshes us for what comes next. If you are waiting until you are tired to rest your body, you've waited too long. You've waited too long. Being tired is not a prerequisite, according to scripture, to rest. We are supposed to start our lives and our faith journey from a place of rest, not retreat from the life for rest. Read the account in Genesis. The Bible says it was evening and then it was morning and that was the first day. It was evening and then it was morning and that was the second day. The day ends with rest, but your morning and your day actually starts from a place of rest. You think your day starts when you wake up. No, sir. Your day starts when you go to sleep at night. And your body was designed by God to start from a place of rest. That's why the REM cycles that your body goes through, it's best to be asleep. If you want to sleep in, you need to sleep on the early side of 11 p.m., Not not until 11 a.m. Because your body was designed to actually go to bed earlier get into the deep sleep starting at 11, walk through the REM cycles and wake up in the morning and be way more refreshed. And if you're trying to catch up on the back end, you're missing the point. You've missed it. Your body wasn't designed to do that. I'm going to get back to the scripture and get out of science for a little bit. (laughs) When we rest, it refreshes us for what's coming next. We get refreshed in God's presence and it strengthens and it restores us. Recovery and rest are not always synonymous. God wants you to come from a place of rest. We're not supposed to work so we can rest. We're supposed to work from a place of rest. In every transition of season in my life, I've started it from a place of rest when the next season was successful one. When we were at a place at our church where God, uh, where, where God was leading us to a point where we were no longer going to be hands-on doing youth ministry, but rather, uh, come out of that and start moving into a season of more of an assisting pastor role in our church. I was still responsible for everybody from birth through high school. It was still something that I was responsible for, but my hands were not getting in it anymore. And I was moving to a different role of leadership. My pastor said, you need to take a Sabbath and you need to rest so that you're ready for the next season. Not because you just had a really bad season and you need to fix some things. No, no, no. It was resting on the front side so that we had everything that we needed pertaining to life and godliness for the next season. And so he sent my wife and I away to a retreat center and we got to spend a few days together and it was wonderful. When we were making the transition from North Carolina to Kansas a couple years ago, there was a a period of time where we were in a rest season. We were resting, not from all the weariness. But in preparation for what was to come, we were resting on the front end. And any time I find myself in a season when I'm in that gap, when I just have to rest to restore and renew and refresh some things, I often will pray in the spirit more than any other time. Why? Because the spirit knows how to pray better than I know how to pray. And I might be praying, asking God to fix something. And and the Holy Spirit's like, no, 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 don't answer that prayer, God. That's not the prayer that he needs to be praying. What he needs to be praying is this. So let's pray this. And the Holy Spirit, the spirit of God inside is easy. He's making that intercession for me on my behalf. And so every time I'm praying in my prayer language, every time I'm praying in the spirit, I am praying the perfect will of God. Not just my preference for God's will. And when you're in a season of rest, it's so important to remember that rest is refreshing you for what comes next. here's, Here's the third one. Rest, I love this one and I hate it all at the same time. Rest will restrain you from acting from your weakness. In Abraham's case, it would have kept him from acting out of his impotence. Which produced something illegitimate. Some of us are experiencing illegitimate things in our lives that weren't really God's best. Because we were making something happen from our weakness when we should have just been resting. Ecclesiastes ten verse ten says, "If the axe is dull and its edge is unsharpened, more strength or brute force is required, but skill brings success." What's it? What's it saying? It's saying that if you're your resources, if your ability, if, if you're tired, if you're worn out, if, if you're in a season where you're supposed to be resting and you just keep swinging, I'm just going to keep going. I'm going to wait for the promise. I'm going to keep working. I'm going to keep working until God comes. I'm going to keep working until I see the promise. I'm going to keep working until the kids change. I'm going to keep working until I'm just going to keep working it, working, 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 working. The ax gets dull and every swing becomes less effective. Have you ever seen somebody try to make good decisions when they're tired? I don't make any major decisions about the church on Monday morning. Why? Because I ain't not in a good frame of mind to make good godly decisions on a Monday. Right? Like, you don't want advice on Monday from me. You'll get a lot of flesh and you won't get a lot of spirit. (laughs) Why? Because I'm tired from, from the day and I need to be in a place of a little more rest because we don't make good decisions when we're tired. We don't make good decisions when we're working more than what we need to be resting. And wisdom says, go sharpen the axe so you become more effective. And when we are resting in faith, it keeps us from acting in our own weaknesses. Where we try and do it in our own strength so that we get the credit, that's called pride. And God resists the proud, but he only gives grace to the humble. When we're walking in the strength of God, we're walking in God's grace and we're walking in joy. Why? Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. God's grace is made perfect in our weakness. And if we're not walking in God's grace, it's because we're walking in pride, trying to do it on our own ability rather than resting and waiting for God to do it in His timing. And so we try and act out of our own weakness. And God is saying, Hey, I need you to wait and be quiet and be still because you need to rest. When I was uh, high school going into college, I uh, came across this uh, post, this online post that talked about study habits, where it says to study at night, go to sleep, and then first thing in the morning as you're eating breakfast or whatever, reread all that you studied. And then you'll be ready to take the test. I was like, let me give it a shot. So I remember being in high school. Every night I had the it, the next day that I had a test, I would pull out my book. I would go over my notes. I would study, study, study. I would get it in there, and then I would go to sleep. I would wake up, and the very next morning, either on the way to school or at breakfast time or when I was in a class that I didn't care about. I mean, when I had an opportunity, I would pull out the material, and I would just reread it. I wouldn't study. I wouldn't cram. I wouldn't stress. I would just read it. And it was always fresh. And I made great grades with a little bit of effort. That's not a pattern. I'm just saying I found a strategy that worked. Even now, I arrange my days so that I do my my best work and my most important work when I'm actually at my best. When I'm the most rested, when I'm the most creative, when I'm the most alert and and mindful, that's when I'm going to do the most important things. I do most of my sermon prep in the morning, not at three o'clock when I can't function. Right? And so I arrange my calendar, my day so that I do my best work when I'm actually at my best. Why? Because you were designed to work from a place of rest. You were designed to work from a place of rest. And rest helps restrain us from acting from our weaknesses. Some of you have been just giving more effort and you need to stop and rest and be refreshed by God and then get back at it and then go back to it. We said last week that one of the things that happens so often in our lives is we live our life trying to be Christian, trying to do what's right, trying to follow God. And we need to flip that around and stop trying any of it and just start practicing. Not being perfect, just start practicing. Start practicing being a Christian. Start practicing reading your Bible. Start practicing worshiping God. Start practicing. It doesn't mean you're going to do it perfect. It doesn't mean it's going to be great. Just start practicing. Why? Because it helps us remember It's not our strength. It's God's. And faith rests. So it restrains us from walking and using in our weaknesses. Here's the last one that rest refocuses us towards God's priorities. Because we don't make good decisions based on godly priorities when we're tired, when we're worn out, when we're weary. And when we're operating from a place of weakness, no, but rest, when we're rested, it, it helps us see clearly God's priorities. It refocuses us back towards God's priorities. It, it helps us see clearly when my, my, my youngest daughter, she, she has these glasses. She's five years old. She's quite active. Uh, she's rarely not on the floor. Uh, playing and pretending and doing whatever. And she has these little cute purple glasses and they get so incredibly filthy. I like pick pick them up and I'm like, I don't even know how you see out these, girl. Like it's no wonder you keep stubbing your toe, baby girl. Like you can't see out of these things. And I have to take them and I have to clean them. And we run them under water. We have these solutions and we have these special rags. And it's a whole scientific process, really, to get these suckers clean. And we get them all cleaned up. She can see them. She goes, oh, that's better. Some of you have been working and efforting and, and just giving it your best work and just I'm going to grind it out and I'm a man and I can do this and I'm going to prove it and I can and I'm just going to try it and watch me. And, and all the while, all of the dirt and the grime of life is clouding your ability to walk in the priorities of God and you're making your decisions based on the path of least resistance and not on the path of God's priorities. And you wonder why your family feels like it's falling apart. And we wonder why we get to a point where we're like, what happened? Where did this go? It's because you stop seeing clearly God's promises because you figured out, I got this, God, hold on, I'll be right back. I got this right here. And we get out because we're in the gap. And we've been in the gap for a lot of years. And for Abraham, it was 11 years. And he's like, I got to figure something out here. I'm starting to doubt. I don't think it's going to happen. I mean, if it wasn't happening when I was 75, it certainly ain't happening when I'm 86. Come on, somebody. Like, this ain't happening. And we just figure if we can do it on our own, if we can figure it out, if we can effort it more, we begin to walk through doors that we think are God's plan because they're actually our preference rather than God's priority. And we call it the favor of God, and it's not the favor of God. It's about to be your own human failure. And when it doesn't work out, we look at God like, God, oh, come on, God, What you open the door. As if you can't open the door yourself or the devil can't open doors to tempt you to walk through it anyways. Faith rests when you're in the gap. It rests. Friends, I came to tell you today that God's promises have no expiration date on them. Oh, Abraham and Sarah, they had some expiration dates. But God is bigger Than your timetable, than your own ability. And God's promises never expire. He preserves them until the time when He knows it's ready and you're ready and things are here and the time is now. And He will preserve and hold and keep you from stumbling if you will just rest in the gap. Faith hears, absolutely. Faith believes. Faith speaks, declaring God's words and His promises. Faith acts. It moves in obedience. It moves in preparation. It moves in in practice towards what God is saying and doing. You do all that you can do in the natural, but there comes a time, there comes a gap where you just have to rest. And we get worried about it because we figure that God's promises are going to expire somehow. We think that we blew it too big for God to recover us from it. We we think that, that God's promises aren't for us, but we need to understand that God preserves his promises while he is performing them. Why? Because Philippians 1 verse 6 says, being confident, considering that he is faithful, being confident of this, that he who began the work who whispered the promise that you heard. He who started it. He began this good work. He will carry it out until the day of completion. He started it. He gets to finish it. Revelation chapter 23 and verse 13. Jesus is talking. He's saying, hey, I'm the alpha. I started it. I'm the omega. Omega. I'm the beginning and I'm the end. I started the book of your life. I get to finish it. The story isn't over until God gets the last word. The promises that he's got for you in your life, they're not over. Because there's breath in your lungs, God's not done with you yet. There's still more for you to achieve. There's still more for God to do. If there's still breath in your lungs, your husband is not too far gone. If your kids are still wandering and doing their own stupidity, God's not done with them yet. You might not have any more that you can physically do. You're in the gap. It's time to rest in faith, knowing that He's faithful. Knowing that He's faithful. So, what do we do when we're in the gap? What do we do when we're waiting, when we're, when we're trying to consider that he's faithful, but we got a lot of other things that we're considering too. Do I quit? Do I stop? Do I walk away? Do I let it go? Did I miss God? Is God not here? Did I screw it all up? What, what, and we consider all of these things. You know what you do while you wait? You know what you do while you wait? You worship while you wait. You worship while you wait. Why? Because worship shifts. Your perspective to your preference, your realities, your understanding, your perspective. And it shifts it back to a heavenly perspective This says, God, you are for me. Who can be against me? My God is alive. He conquered the grave. He's alive. And so while you wait, you start worshiping. You don't worry. You don't fret. You don't try and do it in your own strength. You just say, I'm going to worship God. You find a good CD, a good album. You go to iTunes, you turn on Spotify, you load up YouTube, and you find some worship. You put it on, and you don't have to let, you can close the blinds in your house. Ain't nobody gonna see you. You crank that volume up so you don't hear how bad you sound. And you just make a decision. I will magnify the Lord. God, you are good. You are worthy to be praised. There, though, though the enemy rises against me, you're coming in like a flood, Jesus. You're the one who was and is to come. And you begin to lift a voice of praise. You begin to lift worship up to God. And while you wait, you start worshiping. And you'll begin to consider some different things. That he is faithful. That if he started it, he's going to be the one to finish it. And when he finishes it, he gets the glory, not you. He gets the glory, not you. When we were living in our second house that we owned, that God blessed us with, that we paid well below market value for and had immediate equity, we knew we needed to sell that house in order to follow what we knew God was saying and moved to Kansas it was about 2 years ago almost to the day and we knew we had to sell our house and that was a big deal cuz we could not afford two mortgages we didn't want to pay for a house that we didn't live in and there was some worry that tried to creep in because of how long it took for the first house to sell But we decided that we were going to do everything that we do. We got it ready. We put it on the market. We prayed. We felt like God was going to sell it quick. Our faith, actually, was that God would sell it immediately. We put it on the market on a Friday. On Saturday, we got a full price offer. About 40,000 more. And what we paid for it. That's the number we wanted. We put it out there. We said, God, you're going to do this. And you know what we did between Friday and Saturday? You know what we did? We didn't worry. We didn't make a bunch of calls and share it on Facebook everywhere trying to make it happen. You know what we did while we waited? We just decided to worship God. This was his deal anyways. We were at rest because God who starts it is the God who finishes it. Don't worry. Worship. Don't work in your own strength. Rest in his promises. Will you stand with me? With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you would be here and you would say, Pastor, I know this word is for me because I've started to worry. I've got some promises. I, I, I'm in a season. I'm in the gap. And I need to rest, but, I, but I'm not. And I know this word is for me. Would you just put your hand in the air? I want to pray for you. You know you're in a season where God is saying, it's time to rest on some promises. Absolutely. We're all in different spaces. Some of you, you're at the space where you've got to start working. You've got to start believing. You're in a different part of this cycle. But for those of you that know that this is the season that you're in, I want to pray for you today. Father, I pray right now for every hand that's lifted up Lord, you see our hearts and you know, Lord, we choose to have faith. We've heard you, we've believed you, we've spoken in faith, and God, we've worked all that we can work, we've prepared all that we could prepare, but God, we are waiting now on you to come through. Lord, your timing, not ours. We choose to get our hands off of it, and we declare you, God, you are more than able. You can do it. You started it, you get to finish it, God. And so we choose today, in this moment, to say, God, we will worship while we wait. We will worship while we wait. We won't work. We won't worry. We won't try and kick down doors. We won't try and open. We're not going to do that, God. No, we're going to worship you and see you come through as we lift your name high. So God, here in this moment, we say you be glorified, Jesus. You be honored here in this place. God, we lift up a voice of praise and we say, Lord, glory be your name. Honor, majesty. You're the alpha. You're the omega. You're the beginning. You're the end. You're the first, you're the last, you started it. And so Lord, finish the work that you said, finish the promise. May we find rest this week and choose to rest in your ways. As we worship you today, God, we thank you for it. Thank you, Jesus, that you're building faith in us to full maturity, to full maturity. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen. Come on, let's thank the Lord. Let's thank the Lord.